Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back me today for another Monday mailbag edition of the podcast is my co-host Charlie. Obviously, you guys weren't asleep this weekend. You saw what we saw. The big event on the sporting calendar last week was the NFL draft. And as you can imagine, we got a lot of questions about that over the past couple of days, especially after the first round on Thursday. We got a lot of the Kirby Spark can't develop players questions. So most of our questions today are going to have an NFL draft slant to them, but that's not all we have planned for you on today's show as today is Selection Monday for the 2021 NCAA Men's and Women's Tennis Tournaments. We are actually sitting here recording this at 5.58 p.m. on Monday and the Women's Selection Show starts at 6 with the men's coming up at 6.30. So since that is going to be happening as we record today, we will also be bringing you our live reactions. I don't know. Is it live, Charlie? If we're, It's live right now for us, but not for people listening, right? So I don't know if we should call it live reactions, but we'll be bringing you our reactions to the seating and matchups ahead for both the men's and women's tennis programs as we see them. Charlie, any news yet? I know you're... Are you even paying attention to what's going on here? Well, I'm trying to pay attention, but I can't get closed captioning on this. Are you podcast. paying? Are you paying attention to what's going on in the podcast right now? I am. I are you going to be able to? Are you going to be able to participate yes. today? North Carolina okay. is the number one seed. Well, we knew that was going to happen. There, yes. yeah. Twenty six and zero. I mean, They're very good. Hey, but hey, who pushed them more than they've been pushed by anyone this year? We got there. We didn't have a full team. Just saying. So when we get some Georgia news, let us know. All right? Can you do that? Can you handle that? I'm doing my best. All right. So Charlie's manning that for us right now, watching the selection show as I answer listener questions. So, uh, Charlie, can you ask questions and check out what's going on in the tennis world at the same time? Yes, I can. All right, let's go. What's the first question? All right, well, Georgia just set a school record in the 2021 NFL Draft with nine players selected overall, but with only one player selected in the first round. So we couldn't scroll through social media over the weekend without noticing that people consistently were killing Kirby Smart for not being able to develop the talent that he recruits. So with that in mind, we're going to start with Steven who asks, when are we going to accept that Kirby Smart may be a great recruiter, but he just doesn't develop the talent the way other coaches do? Says at some point, isn't this going to catch up to to us in recruiting when players begin to realize that they have a better chance of getting to the league and being a first-round pick somewhere else? 
Okay, thank you, Char. Thank you, Stephen. And I do want to—I want to put this out there because I don't want it to seem like I'm trying to beat up on any one particular listener. We got a lot of questions over the weekend about Kirby Smart's apparent inability to develop talent. That was a, a common refrain from a lot of the questions that we got. And I understand where you're coming from because when you see Alabama, because we look at things through a Bama lens, right? Obviously, we have these red and black glasses that we look through, but we know. To get where we want to go, to get to the promised land, we have to surpass the Bama mountain, right? We have to climb that mountain, get to the top, and come back down the other side. We have gotten really close to doing that, but we haven't quite done it. So I understand why a lot of people in Georgia fan base compare us to Alabama, because that's who we ultimately want to be. And the, and the unfortunate reality is, the tough reality that we have to admit is that we are not there yet, all right? I think we've gotten closer and closer and closer. I think last year... Final results of that game, notwithstanding Stetson Bennett was not supposed to be our quarterback. I still think we, I think we probably gave Bama the best game of the year last year. What is that saying? Because we didn't really come close to winning that game, but we were up at halftime. We all know the story. We're getting closer, but I understand why people get frustrated because that's who they want us to be. And clearly we aren't there yet on the field or from an NFL draft standpoint, and they kind of go hand in hand. So I understand where that's coming from. However, I do also have to say, and I say this with all due respect, I'm really not trying to like hammer anyone or pull, put one over on anybody. I'm not trying to do that. I, however, look at this, this narrative that's starting to develop amongst some of the Georgia fan base and just the national media as well, that Kirby Smart can recruit but can't develop talent. And I just have to say that's factually inaccurate. Now, there are certain conclusions you can draw. I mean, you're free to draw whatever conclusions you want, have whatever opinion you want. But we also need to operate from the same basic set of facts. There are things that are just true. And I want to go through some of these things here. I'm not going to go into crazy de- detail with it, but I'm just giving you some context here. That, and that's why I think that we lack sometimes is the contextualization of the NFL draft when it comes to Georgia versus Alabama. Because that's, let's be clear, that's who they're comparing it to. But if you look at this year's draft, 2021 NFL draft, we had the second most draft picks overall behind only Alabama and Ohio State, the two teams that played and the college football national championship, right? That's a pretty good spot to be, you know? I mean, that's not where we want to be, but like we're right there. We're knocking on the door. We also had the second most top 100 picks, again, behind Alabama. We also tied Miami. I think it's the 2004 Miami team, I want to say, for the most defensive backs selected in a single NFL draft in over 30 years with four DBs selected. And over the past three seasons, if you go beyond just this one season, I know some people say, well, what about the past two years? Tyler, what about the past couple years? Okay, well, let's go there. Over the past three seasons, only Alabama and Ohio State, again, only Bama and Ohio State have had more players drafted in the NFL draft than Georgia. Each of those two teams are tied are tie with 29 draft picks over the last three seasons. We are coming in, I guess you would say third, if you had those two teams at the top, but right behind the top two with 23 draft picks over the past three years. Here, let's throw in another team. Another team that's won multiple national titles in the past five or six years, Clemson. Guys, Clemson's only had 18 NFL draft picks over the past three years. We've had five more than them. Now, I know we haven't surpassed that mountain, and they have, but if you're talking about developing talent, well, why isn't anyone saying that Clemson can't develop talent? Because we've got more draft picks over the same time span than Clemson has by a pretty comfortable margin there. Now, the argument against Kirby, and here's what people are going to say. They're going to say, well, that's fine. I don't care about who gets drafted in the sixth or seventh round. I care about first round draft picks. And that's a fair, that is a fair argument. I will grant you that. We've only had four first round draft picks 
over the past couple years or the past three years. Now I will say like we've kind of gotten unfortunate. A couple of guys have fallen to like the very top of the second round, like you know Tyson Campbell first pick of the second round. Like what's the difference between being the thirty third pick, the first pick of the second round, and being the thirty second pick, the last pick in the first round? You, I guess if you're the last pick in the first round, you can say, well, I got drafted in the first round, but like the money's no different. It's essentially the same thing. The NFL views you basically the same way, which is based on need. Uh, as opposed to really what's the difference in talent between these guys. And you had Nick Chubb going in the early second round. You had DeAndre Swift going in the early second round last year. So I know those guys technically aren't first round draft picks, but I mean, come on, like they're right there. But I also say this for Kirby. You know, we've only had first four first round draft picks the past three seasons, but we've had three DBs go in the first 33 picks. We had two first round picks and DeAndre Baker and Eric Stokes. And we had Tyson Campbell again going the first pick of the second round, number 33 overall. In what position, if you talk about a coach developing talent, what position does Kirby coach most closely on the field? Is he most intimately involved with from a coaching perspective actually on the field? Well, it's Demons and Backs. And we've put more DBs in the league and more DBs in the first round than I guess maybe other than offensive line than really anywhere else on the field. So don't don't come at me with this Kirby can't develop talent and only recruit. Don't give me that. And, and what about the guys that that were completely off the radar when it comes to recruit? When you look at guys like Eric Stokes, a guy that was the number 668th player overall when he came out of high school, a guy that a lot of people didn't even think would ever really contribute here in Athens, but Kirby Smart only turned him into a contributor, turned him into a first round NFL draft pick. That guy was as raw as you can possibly get at the cornerback position coming out of high school. He had great physical tools and great speed, but talk about a raw athlete. And Kirby Smart molded and sharpened him into a first round draft pick. And again, that's the position that Kirby coaches most closely on the field. That's what he does by trade. What about a guy like Tay Crowder, who was Mr. Irrelevant in last year's NFL draft, last pick in the draft. Go back to when he was coming out of high school. This guy was a running back, let's not forget. He was number 1,868th player overall coming out of high school when he came into Athens. Kirby Smart had him move over to linebacker. And yeah, I know he wasn't a first-round draft pick. He was the last pick in the NFL draft. But developed him to the point, him along with Glenn Schumann, to where Tay Crowder was a year one starter in the NFL. Who cares we got drafted? That guy can play. That's, it's not Kirby's fault the NFL missed out on him and, and didn't evaluate him properly. That guy is starting in the NFL right now. So don't talk to me about can't develop talent. I, when people talk about the, when it's the can't develop talent argument, they're looking at first round picks, right? They're saying, well, you got these five stars, but you didn't do anything with them. What, and, and I don't, I, I've, as I've already said, I don't think that's true. What about these guys that are completely off the radar that whether it's 247 sports or whatever recruiting service missed on, an NFL missed on, and Kirby developed those guys and they have become early draft picks. They become stars in the NFL. Those guys, we don't even mention those, right? Because that's not convenient when it comes to the Kirby can't develop talent argument. And, and we've talked about this many times before, so I'm not going to go too crazy in depth of this, but I, it's just one of those things that does get to me. Do I want more first round draft picks? Sure. And that is a fair argument. We need more guys in the first round, but we are still developing talent. We are still putting, putting guys in the NFL as, as well as anybody not named Alabama or Ohio State, and we're not that far behind those guys. I also want to say this real quick. Again, it's the whole Bama versus Georgia thing, and I get where Georgia fans are coming from on that to some degree, but... We're comparing Kirby Smart in his first five years as head coach to Nick Saban, who's been in Alabama for 15 years. And we're only talking about the the draft level classes we've talked about for the past couple of years that Kirby Smart has had from day one are the 2016, 17, and 18 classes, all right? Bama had the number one class from 2011 
2017, seven straight. Kirby only had one number, number one class of those three classes that are draft eligible, 16, 17, 18. That was the 18 class. So we weren't working with the same level of talent either. And now we are. Now we're recruiting at the exact same level as Alabama pretty much year in, year out. So it's, it's, a, it's a draw more or less over the past couple of years since 2018. But 2016, 2017, Bama recruited a lot better than we did in those years. And half of Kirby's top 100 guys from the 2018 class are still in school and have a chance to be drafted and also be drafted in the first round. Zamir White, Jamari Salyer, Quay Walker, Adam Anderson, James Cook, all those guys are still on campus right now. So that class isn't completely done. That's Kirby's first number one class. And I also throw this out there too. You know, one of the reasons Alabama's players do get drafted so high is because it's Alabama. There's just a trust level there with the NFL teams. Like, I know what I'm getting when I draft an Alabama player. Like, look at what, like, Bill Belichick, for example, the New England Patriots, always drafting these Alabama guys because, well, number one, he knows Saban real well. They're cut from the same cloth, and he trusts what he's going to get from Alabama. And then Alabama, they play on this, on this, really big stage all the time. So there's just more exposure out there. And they also provide opportunities for the skill players. That's one thing that we have not done a good job at because really look at our first round draft. It's basically been defensive guys or offensive linemen. We haven't really had any skill players go in the first round, at least offensive skill players. It's because our guys on offense haven't really been given that chance through the Jim Chaney years and the James Coley years. I think that is changing. And as those guys get more opportunities with a new offensive coordinator in an updated scheme, I think the draft results with those skill players will also change. You look at guys like George Pickens and JT Daniels potentially going into next year's draft. We'll see what happens with James Cook, Zamir White, those kind of guys as they have big gear. So obviously you can tell I don't agree with that assessment that there's something wrong with Lake Kirby's developing talent. I think it's factually inaccurate. But again, people open to their opinion. I just don't necessarily hold that opinion. All right, Charlie, I know you look very into what's going on there. Any updates on the the women's tennis bracket? Yeah, I was able to watch the entire selection. It's over while you were going on and on. I was going on that long. Yeah. Okay. I yes. mean, I I, I know yeah. I tend to do that. So what's up? Give me the update. All right. It's basically the ITA rankings. So we're the three seed. Yes, we are the three seed. See, that's okay. North Carolina's one. Texas is two. That's we re- fell back yeah. to number three. We were two. Now we're North three. Carolina deserves to be number one. They're undefeated. I, they're and they are insanely good. They'll probably win the whole thing. That's our number one competition. Texas is really good too. Texas and Georgia, correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie, both teams only have one loss and they both lost to North Carolina, but our loss to North Carolina was far closer. Came down to the last match, as we said many times on the show. Last match, final, or I guess a tiebreaker, third set tiebreak on the last court. Texas put up a fight too, but not like that. So I don't know, man. I, I Whatever, I guess there's not that much of a difference between two and three. What's our, did you, do you have the actual bracket in front of you? No. Okay, I'm gonna pull this up real quick. Okay, I'm pulling this up. All right, I got it. Okay, I got it here. So Austin P in the first round here in Athens. We don't know exactly what day that is. We'll f- hope we'll give you guys that information as soon as we see it. If we win that match, which God willing we will, we got the winner of Furman Wake Forest in the second round. That'll also be here on campus. Wake Forest probably should beat Furman. Uh, they're 11 and 12 on the year says here. So if we get past the first two rounds here in Athens, and we go to Lake Nona in Orlando for the quarterfinals, we'll face. Looks like either going to be Tennessee or Virginia. We've already beaten, we've destroyed Tennessee AO twice this year. It's tough to beat teams three times, but we're just that much better. Virginia is a solid team of the ACC, but we should, we should I mean, we should win that, right? Like yeah, we should win I'm the quarterfinals not, match. I'm noticing the date, and it says May seventh and eighth. So I guess they'll be playing Friday and Saturday instead of possibly Thursday, Saturday. Yeah, because the men are also going to be hopefully hosting in Athens, so it'll be a. I, but they won't be if there are that many matches. 
could be early. And we'll find no, out in just be, a few it minutes. Could, it could be, yeah, we will. It could be early afternoon, late. Maybe maybe the men play Thursday and Sunday. I don't I don't know how they're going to do it. But, I mean, and maybe the men won't host. I don't know, but we, we should. And then we're set up. We get to the semifinals. Let's see. No, I'm oh, sorry. No, I'll take that back. That's the round of 16, the quarterfinals. So we would play Tennessee or Virginia in the round of 16. The quarterfinals we would face looks like probably – it's probably going to be Florida as the 11 seed or NC State as a 6 seed. We've already beaten Florida. We destroyed Florida. They're good, but I like our chances there. I like our chances at NC State. That could get us in the semifinals where te- – oh, see, that, that's what it's going to be, right, Charlie? If we get to the, the semis, it's going to be Texas-Georgia, 3 versus 2. So it's, going to be, it's all going to be decided. The big thing is we avoid North Carolina in the semifinals, right? Like we're on the opposite side of the bracket because you don't want to have to face North Carolina any earlier than you have to because you're just going to hope that somebody else just happens to knock them off. Like something, like they just have a bad day and they get knocked off. You don't have to play them. So I'm glad that we did not end up with the four seed like UCLA did because they're going to have to potentially, if, if all things work out chalk-wise, they'll face North Carolina in the semifinals uh, in Lake Nona. Whereas if things work out chalky for us, it'll be Texas. And Texas is really good. They could absolutely beat us. But I'd rather play Texas and North Carolina in the semifinals and then See if we have our see what we can do against North Carolina potentially the championship if we get there. But all right, that's exciting news. Number three overall seed, twenty and one. I think we should have gotten the two seed, but like whatever, that's fine. We'll 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 figure that out if we get get to the semifinals and play Texas. We'll figure out who should have been the two seed once and for all. But all right, let's keep going here, Charlie. Let me know when the men's stuff gets going. But what's our next question? All right, next up, Larry gets a little more specific and wants to know what do you think of Malik Herring and DJ Daniel not getting drafted. What are their chances of making and sticking with a team? And Malik Herring is signing with the Chiefs. Chiefs, correct? that's correct. DJ Daniel signing uh, with Miko Hardman. Yeah, with Miko. There you go, Look at Charlie. I, know. I thought you didn't watch the NFL. I don't. You keep up with our guys. Uh, oh, no, Miko. Is he? Is it because Miko's on your list of like good-looking former Georgia players? Because I, I know mean, you have a little bit of a hierarchy with these guys. Where does no, Miko rank? I mean, I just know he plays there because okay. he won the Super Bowl his first year. Okay, so, he's so kind of like. Okay, okay, okay. Fact. So it was like out there. You couldn't help but see it when they talk about the Super Bowl. Correct. Okay, fair enough. All right, yes, he's with he's with Cole in Kansas City, best team in the league. Uh, DJ Daniel went to Jacksonville. I think that's a good spot for him. Uh, look, the issue with both these guys, Malik and DJ, is all injury. Like, it, it's injury-based. I, I hate it for Malik Herring. Such a great guy. He was a, such a great leader, great locker room guy for us. And just a, a, one of those unsung heroes. Like, playing that five-tech defensive end spot – you don't get a chance to make a lot of like of those wow plays that they're going to open people's eyes with the sacks and tackles for loss and things like that because that's not really what you're asked to do. It's a it's a it's a working man's position. That's really what it is. But Malik was really really good at that position. I, and I'm firmly of the opinion that he would have been drafted. He did not tear his ACL at Senior Day practices or senior game, senior bowl, but not senior day. Well, senior bowl practices. So that, that that's just incredibly unfortunate for him, but I'm glad he got on the team. I think he will make the team. DJ Daniels, same thing. It wasn't like a senior bowl injury. I thought DJ would have a chance to get drafted. Because from all accounts, had a really good senior bowl week and great practices there. But he was dealing with injuries most of last year. Didn't get a lot of playing time last year. Couldn't put a lot on tape. But I think both those guys, honestly, will make their teams, and I think they're going to stick. And I think DJ Daniel can really play. I know when he got in last year, he was up and down. He was inconsistent, but he was dealing with injuries, and he played at a pretty high level for us in 2019. He has really good ball skills. I was impressed with him. 
Well, from what I saw from him in 2019 in, in relief of Tyson Campbell when he was dealing with his toe injury. So I think both those guys can play, and I think both those guys are going to make the team and, and stick for a couple years at least. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, well, Guy is taking the middle ground with our next question with what I think is a reasonable way to look at this. He says, He's never been happier with the NFL draft success of our program. That Kirby has things rolling, but after seeing what Bama does year in and year out, it still feels a little depressing. Like we aren't as close to them as it felt in 2017-2018. He wants to know, do we need equal draft success to beat them? This is a fantastic question, guys. This is a really, really good question, a really smart question. Uh, and, I'm gonna, and there's layers to this. Let me start by saying, again, going back to what I said for that first question, when you look at what's happened in the past couple years in the NFL draft, going back to 1920 and then this year in 2021, we're looking at the draft or looking at the recruiting classes from 2016, 2017, 2018. 2016, 2017, that was when Bam was still in the midst of like what their seven straight number one class run. They were just simply recruiting at a pretty pretty good clip higher than what we were recruiting at that point. In 2018, we started to change things. But a good number of those top players in 2018, now some of them ended up in other programs like Cade Mays and, and we all know Justin Fields. So we don't want to go there. We know that. But at least five of those guys that were in the top 100 in the 2018 recruiting class are still on the team. Guys like James Cook, Adam Anderson, Jamari Salyer, those kind of guys. So that's kind of incomplete. So I know when you look at the, at, at the draft, you're saying, well, God, man, Bama is just putting so many guys in the league. They're putting so many guys in the first round, and we just can't touch that. Like we're, we're doing, like you said, Guy, you're right. Like I'm really happy with the success of our, of our program in the NFL draft this year. In the past couple of years, we've done as, as well as anyone not named Alabama or Ohio State. But where are those first round draft picks? But you've got to look at the context there and say, we weren't quite recruiting at that level when you talk about the draft classes that are eligible the past couple of years. That's going to change in the coming years. Our best recruiting classes, 18, 19, 20, are all moving forward. So the next couple of years, I think we're going to be right there with Alabama. I'm not, I, I'm not going to sit here and guarantee that we're going to have more first-round draft picks and more overall draft picks in the next year or the next year. But I think there's a really good chance, and we'll certainly close that gap because the, we closed the gap on the recruiting front. Now, let's go to the question. Do we need equal draft success to beat them? Well, what does NFL draft success tell us about a program? Well, pretty clearly, it tells you that you have a lot of really talented players in your program. And that's really important. I've always told you guys, I think talent's the most important element to winning at a high level. There's other elements. You got to coach them up. You've got to deploy them properly. All those things matter. But having the talent, that's the first, I think, most important step. It certainly correlates to success on the field. When you look at 
I mean, there's a reason why programs like Vanderbilt in South Carolina and Ole Miss, Mississippi State aren't competing for SEC titles and they're not winning at high clips because they don't have any NFL draft picks. There's a correlation there. Vanderbilt had one NFL draft pick. Arkansas, one NFL draft pick. Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss had two. Mississippi State, I think, had two. South Carolina had four. What do all those teams have in common? They're at the bottom of the SEC because they don't have the players. Look at the teams at the top. Alabama, Georgia, Florida have 10 draft picks, 9 draft picks, 8 draft picks. Clearly, there is a strong correlation between NFL draft success and the amount of games you win at the college level. All right, So you have to have talent. Yes, you've got to have the talent to win at a high level. But here's where I, I'm going to put some context in there. You have to have talent, but it doesn't have to be exactly, it doesn't have to be equitable talent. You don't have to have the exact same kind of talent. You don't have to equal draft success of Alabama to beat them, okay? You just need to be like relatively in the same ballpark. You can't be like Arkansas, have one NFL draft pick while Alabama has 10, expect to compete with them on the field. That's not going to happen. But if Alabama has 10 draft picks and you have nine, oh, okay, they have one more draft pick than you, but you're still in the ballpark. You're right there. There's no, there's really no gap there. You can certainly compete with them. Let's take Alabama versus Clemson, for example. So Clemson's won two national titles the past couple years. In 2016, Clemson had that season, I guess the 2017 draft, but the guys that were eligible in the 2016 season, Clemson had six of those guys in the NFL draft. Alabama had 10. Clemson still won the national title because they were in the same ballpark. We're closer than that right now than what Clemson was in 2016. Same thing in 2018. Clemson had six draft picks that year. Six guys that were drafted. Alabama had 10. Again, Clemson still won the national title because they're in the same ballpark and they had the talent at the right spots, namely quarterback and wide receiver. So, what lesson do I learn from that is we have to be in the same ballpark like Clemson was with Alabama. And again, we're already closer to Alabama than Clemson was when they won the national titles in terms of NFL draft success and recruiting success. What Clemson had that we have not had until now is the quarterback. Clemson had the quarterback position solved. Alabama's obviously had fantastic quarterback play. We haven't had that. We've had solid quarterback play. We've had stable quarterback play. We haven't had elite quarterback play. We haven't had game-changing quarterback play. I think that's about to change. We saw signs of that with JT at the end of last year in his last in the last couple starts of the season. Hopefully, he can continue to build on that and take it to even a higher level this year. So, if that's solved, then I think even if Bama has one or two more NFL draft picks than we do any given year, we're going to be right there, able to beat them on any given year if you have the quarterback play and you open up your offense, which we're showing signs of doing on both fronts. So no, I I don't think we have to equal their draft success. We just have to remain in the same ballpark. But going back to what I said earlier, I think we're going to equal the draft success and maybe even surpass them in the coming years with the way that we've been recruiting and developing players. Great question though. Well, even though Jamie Newman never suited up in the red and black for one game, there were still a lot of Georgia fans watching his fate in the NFL draft this past weekend. And as we all know, he did not end up getting drafted. So Jackson wants to know, where does Jamie Newman's decision to opt out of the 2020 season rank among the worst turning pro decisions in college sports history? Okay, well, I don't know if it's the... I, I don't know where it ranks. I don't know all of the terrible decisions. There have been a lot of bad decisions about players going to going pro, whether it's college, baseball, basketball, football, whatever sport, and just not really working out for them. But this is certainly up there. It's got to be, right? Like it clearly, clearly was not a great decision. Uh, but what I sense here, and Charlie, am I wrong here? Are you also in the sense that Jackson is kind of wanting to point and laugh at Jamie Newman here with this question? You don't get that sense? Well, there was a lot of that on social media, right? Like, hey, what are you doing? People having fun at Jamie Newman's expense here. And I get it. I, I, I certainly do get it. College sports fans, we sure do love us some schadenfreude. Absolutely, we do. We love to 
root against our rivals and their players with just as much, if not more zest than we actively root for our team. Uh, and, and honestly, like we, I, I'll admit it, I do this. I root against our opposing like opposing players, like Florida players or whoever. I root against them far beyond just a college playing days. I'll give you an example here with this NFL draft. Kyle Pitts. Charlie, did you see the Falcons drafted Kyle Pitts? Yes. Right, I did you saw that. that. I know y'all look, I've, I told you guys I'm not a big Falcons fan. I'll casually cheer for them. Sure, I hope they do. I, I don't wish ill on them. I'd rather them win than not, but I'm like a big Falcons fan. I know a lot of our listeners are. And I think Kyle Pitts is a fantastic pick for the Falcons. I think that guy's a, a game-changing type talent. That's a great pick for them. But I'm never going to be able to cheer for him. I don't care if he's wearing Falcons uniforms, Falcons colors. I don't care. To me, he's always going to be a Florida Gator, and I can't root for him. I, I cannot separate. I know some people can. I simply cannot separate. I can't. So, yeah, I, I understand this. And, and we enjoy their misfortune. We revel in that. At least I do, as long as it's not injury-related. I don't want to risk ill on anyone from an injury standpoint. Like, for example, here's another example. The, the Florida shoe throw last year, right, Charlie? Was that not the greatest thing that happened all of last season? In a terrible season, was that not the greatest thing that happened the entire year? Quite possibly. No, definitely. For, for me, definitely. It's the greatest thing that I saw all season. That was like the greatest moment for me because we, we we were good. We just weren't what we wanted to be. So that for me was awesome. I just reveled in Florida's misery and how bad that was for them. But this isn't really one of those things for me with Jamie Newman not getting drafted. Now, Charlie, I know you in the past have kind of been the morality police with these kind of things. Did you get any pleasure from Jamie Newman falling out of the NFL draft? No, I feel really bad for him. It kind of sucks. Because somebody got in his ear and told him that was a good plan. Yeah. And now his entire future is up in there. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like I put far more blame on the people who got in his ear and advised him, hey, dude, just sit out this year. Like, you're good. You put enough on tape. You'll be a first-round draft pick or you'll be an early draft pick. You don't need to go out there and do anything. I put far more of this on those guys. Now, Jamie Newman's a grown man. He can make his own decisions, and he shouldn't have listened to those guys. But when people you trust are telling you these things, it's hard not to follow what they're telling you. And it's and it was an unprecedented situation for them. You got, you got to say that. Now, I will also say this, and try, tell me if you disagree with me here. I do believe Jamie Newman handled the situation poorly last year with the opt-out. Are you with me there? The way he handled it? Yes. Like the the decision to opt out, I'm not mad at him for that. If he did not feel comfortable playing and he thought it wasn't his best interest that he needs to opt out, that's fine. My issue is the timing. That's what it comes down to for me. That's the issue I have. Like when you leave your team hanging two or three weeks before the season starts without a starting quarterback, that's an issue. When you could have made this decision months before, right? You've had plenty of time to think on this. So especially if you if you use COVID as your excuse. Now, let's be real. It wasn't, I don't really think, I don't know exactly what was going on. I said, I don't think it was a COVID decision. I think it was a, a business decision based on his draft stock and where he but thought he, he would fall. he said COVID. He said COVID. And, and, that, and that's where I have the issue. That's dishonest. Right. And if Just it, say what and it Even is. if it was COVID, let's say, let's give him benefit of the doubt. Even if it was COVID, if it's COVID, why didn't you make that decision in May? Why didn't you make the decision in June? But that's why it would be assumed as dishonest. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So that's what that's the issue I have. Not in the fact that he opted out. It was the timing of the opt-out. He's allowed to make whatever decision he makes and do whatever he thinks in his best interest. I just have an issue with the timing. If it was COVID-related, it should have happened far earlier and not left us in that position that we were in where we've got we're left scrambling and now Stetson Bennett's our quarterback. That's a problem. We'd have time to really prepare anybody else. No, and it was an unprecedented situation, to be sure. There's no guide on how to handle COVID. That's certainly gotta be put out there. 
But I'm with you, Charlie. I, I think this really comes down, this is the fault of the grown adults who got in his ear and just completely, let's just be real, completely screwed this guy. So no, I don't derive any sort of satisfaction from this. I I actually wish him the best. I, I, I think that, you know, there's... This year's been too rough for all of us to sit here and wish ill on anybody. Let's let's root for the guy, even if he never suited up in the red and black, even if he left us in a bad spot. As a human being, let's just hope the best for him and um, hope he makes a team and, and has a career he want, that he can be proud of. All right. Well, sticking with the NFL draft for one more question, Ryan has a two-part question and asks, of the Georgia players that got drafted this year, which one do you think ended up in the best situation fit-wise and who will end up having the best NFL career? All right, that's another good question. I always like these kind of questions when you talk when you're talking about the NFL draft. Best fit, let's take that one first. Honestly, I'm going to go a little bit off the radar here. I'm going to go Ben Cleveland. I think that's a great fit for him in Baltimore with their run first scheme. Charlie, I know you don't watch the NFL, but you remember Lamar Jackson, right? Yes. So remember Lamar Jackson in, in college? Yes. That's still Lamar Jackson in the NFL. They're actually running like a college-based offense with Lamar Jackson. And uh, that's a perfect fit for Ben Cleveland. Because now, now, Ben Cleveland, actually, I think he got way too much criticism for his pass protection. I think he was actually really good in pass protection. If you look at his his pro football focus grades, he actually held up really well. But clearly, he's that road grading type offensive lineman, just big, hulking dude that can just destroy people. So with their run-first scheme, I think Ben Cleveland is an absolute awesome fit for them. And I don't know if you guys saw the clip, but John Harbaugh, their head coach, was just pumped up to get Ben Cleveland. He'd been talking about him in the draft room for, for weeks and weeks. So they were excited. I'm excited for Ben. I think that's going to be a great fit for him. I think he's going to be a, a good player for them for a long time. Best NFL career, though. Okay. All right. Now, I think Tyson Campbell has the highest upside based on his physical ability. Now, he's a little bit further away from being a, a, a finished product, but if he can get that point, now, the NFL is not really a developmental league, so I don't I don't know if he'll get that. I think he would have progressed more if he stayed another year, but hey, the guy went in the first pick in the second round. I can't really fault him for leaving. So I, I'm not going to go with him to have the best NFL career because he's just got a little bit more to go from a polished standpoint, but he does have the highest upside. I'm going to go with Aziz Ojolari as a total package outside linebacker. This is a guy that can absolutely rush the passer. He can play the run. He can drop into coverage, play in space, do whatever you want him to do. He's a first-round talent that dropped because of the injury concerns there with the arthritis potentially in the knee, whatever that might be. I get teams being scared off from him, but what incredible value for the New York Giants to take Aziz where they took him in the second round. He is a clear, in my opinion, first-round draft pick, probably the best pass rusher in the draft. And he falls to New York in the second round there. That's a great pick for them. And I think as long as he stays healthy, man, I think Aziz might end up having the best career out of all these Georgia players that got drafted this year in the NFL draft. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right. Well, Rokon Swift. All right, real quick. Any update on the men's bracket here? No, I'm watching it. There's All right, a quick nothing. Commercial. Okay. Roquan Smith is one of my favorite players of the Kirby era, so I like this next question from John. 
John wants to know, who do you think on defense could make a Roquan-like move this season, meaning a player who had significant playing time and flash last year but exposed to a whole different level of play, such as a potential first half of the first round type talent? First half of first round. Okay, that's tough. First half of first round. So it's like top 15, 16 picks there. You know what? I'm going to stay at Roquan's position at inside linebacker, and I'm going to go with Quay Walker. You guys have been listening for a long time. I know a lot of you out there have been with us for a while. You know I've been talking to Quay Walker since the day he signed with us. And I told you guys, I've said this many times, he was not a finished product in high school. He didn't really play he didn't really play a true inside linebacker. He's more of like a star hybrid type guy, played out in space, rest the passer off the edge. Didn't really play inside linebacker. So I knew it was going to take some time for him to learn that position, but the physical tools were off the freaking charts. And it's taken him some time, but he's gotten the position down, more or less. He's still got some room to grow, clearly. But he has become a starter, and he's so versatile, rushing the passer, playing in space and coverage, playing between the tackles, doing all the things that we're asking linebackers to do in our scheme. Nicobe Dean, rightfully so, gets a lot of the publicity inside linebacker. I mean, he's a stud himself. But Quay Walker ain't that far behind, guys. Quay Walker, I think, with another big year. And I was really impressed with him at, at G-Day. Now, uh, again, we don't want to draw too many conclusions from G-Day. But he just looks like a different player. Wearing the new number, wearing number seven out there, looking good. I think Quay Walker has the potential, especially with a big year, to work himself into first-round draft pick conversation alongside N'Kobe Dean. So I'm going to go with Quay, a guy who's, I think he fits the bill, right, John? He's a guy that's kind of like Roquan. Roquan was good before the 2017 year, but he wasn't Roquan 2017 version. I think we can see, a, a, not the same kind of jump, because Roquan's one of the best defensive players I've seen at the University of Georgia in my time. But I think we can see a, a similar-ish type jump from Quay this year, where to, from a guy that was a good contributor who did some good things, flashed the potential, but didn't do it consistently, into a guy that is a consistent, game-changing type talent that defensive coordinators have to game plan for every single game and scares the living hell out of offenses. And a guy that can end up in the first round. So yeah, I'm going to go Quay Walker there. It's a good question, though. I love that. All right. Well, with our final question today, I'm curious to hear your answer. Dalton says, obviously we can't see into the future, and this is best case scenario, but if JT Daniels has the year we all think he is going to have and we win the national championship, what range do you think he could reach in UGA all-time greats? In his opinion, he thinks he could get top three if all goes as planned. All-time greats. Okay, real quick. Update on tennis. Anything for Georgia? The men's team is the 11th seed and will host. Host, baby. Yes. 11th seed. So what's the... what's the uh, ETSU is who we will play first, and then we'll play the winner of Virginia Tech or Texas Tech. Okay, I like that. I like that. And then if we win... And then we have North Carolina. Oh, God. Is... We'll be in the, the, in the round of 16? Yes. Oh, my God. North Carolina is incredibly good. William Bloomberg is And a then star. if we make it past that, Tennessee is the... Three uh, seed. Yeah, that's that's a tough draw. It's a tough draw. Our guys, now you know what? Or our guys. Kentucky is the 14th seed. Kentucky, that's we, not a we beat bracket. Kentucky. Kentucky's the 14th seed? Yeah. Oh my God. They, their top two singles players are lights out. We we beat them by the skin of our teeth. I know our guys can beat anybody on any given day. We are that talented. We just can also lose matches that we shouldn't. Also, we, we haven't, honestly, we haven't lost anybody we shouldn't lose to this year. Like all the teams we've lost to are like ranked in the top 15. So, that's a but you know when you're 11 seed so North Carolina potentially where's North Carolina six okay that's gonna be a tough round of 16 match all right that's North Carolina was ranked in the top three for most of the early part of the season they had some injuries there's Will Bloomberg I see him right there that guy was ranked in the top three in singles for a long time that's gonna be a tough match but hey you know what we're good enough if we play our game to beat them 
Then potentially the quarterfinals you get Tennessee or Kentucky. We can beat. We beat Kentucky. We gave Tennessee a run. We didn't when we weren't fully healthy. We can do this. All right. I'm feeling. You feel okay about the guys' path? Sure. Why not? <laughs> not as good as the women. North Carolina. If we can get past North Carolina, that's the one. The round of sixteen. If we can get past you North Carolina, get there first. Yeah, I, I feel good about us getting to the round of sixteen. If we can beat North Carolina, that's tough. But if we can beat them, we got a really good shot in this quarters against potentially Kentucky or Tennessee. All right, I don't hate that. The 11 seed, all right, that's fair. I think 11 seed's fair for this team. That's that's not insurmountable. Interesting. All right, we'll talk more about that later on this week. But all right, what was the, so we're talking about all-time greats, right? That was the question. Sorry, I got off track there. JT yes. Daniels, can he be an all-time great if we win the national championship? Yes. All right, so I'm going to go all, all-time great. Okay, so Herschel Walker, Charlie's JT Daniels. Can he do anything to ever surpass Herschel Walker? In the Georgia in Georgia lore, probably not. No, I mean Herschel Walker. Let's be real. I mean, I know this is this predates you and me. Should have won the Heisman three years in a row. If if he played in like the mid two thousands, like when Tim Tebow was playing, it was okay for freshmen and sophomores, whoever, to win the Heisman Trophy. Herschel would have won three years in a row. Herschel's the greatest player in Georgia history. I don't know if that'll ever change. So I don't think he's ever going to surpass Herschel. Then you got Charlie Trippy, Frank Sinkwich, like the old timers. Sinkwich the Heisman Trophy. Trippy just an incredible player. To me, those guys are up there. And I, I don't know if JT can surpass them. I know for the younger members of the fan base, if I said Charlie Trippy or Frank Sinkwich, they probably wouldn't. They would look at me like I was insane. They wouldn't know who I'm talking about. But I don't know if JT can pass those guys. But top three, okay, I think you can get in top three. Because look, who's after like Herschel, Trippy, Sinkwich? You got like the David Greens, David Pollocks, Garrison Hurst, Chant Bailey, Gurley, Chubbs, those kind of guys. I think if we win a national title, and JT Daniels is a big reason why. If he has a monster year, he's in Heisman Trophy conversation. Let's be real, Charlie. If, he, if we are as good as we want to be this year in that conversation, our offense is as good as we need it to be, he's going to be in that conversation, right? Heisman? I'm not saying yeah. he's going to win it. He'll be in the conversation. If he's in the conversation, he's a big part of why we win a national title, delivers our first national title in over 40 years. If you think about how starved we are, how desperate we are. I'm speaking for myself. I don't want to speak for y'all. I'm starved. I'm desperate. I need one of these, all right? So if you put all that together, I think, yeah, a national title, breaking that drought, I think that would catapult him into the top three above guys like Green, Pollock. I don't know, man. It's t- Charlie, in your mind, let me ask you, in your mind, would JT Daniels, even the national title, be above Nick Chubb for you as above all time, as an all-time great Georgia player? I'm not sure. I don't know if I can say yes. That comes with a lot of personality. But see, JT only played with us for two years, right? right? And Nick was a, a, a four-year guy, went through the injury, is such an incredible player and such an incredible man, young man for us, just an incredible ambassador for UGA. Like, my heartstrings, Nick Chubb is still pulling on my heartstrings, guys. And I, I don't know if JT could ever do that the way that Nick, do, Nick does. And, and Nick got really close to helping us win the national title, guys. We got really, really close there. But I can, I, I can see an argument for JT being in the top three. And, that, and that's completely subjective based on how you view these things. But he would certainly be in that conversation. I would probably have Herschel one, Trippy Sinkwich as a tag team tandem number two. And I'd probably still have Chubb number three just for what Nick Chubb stood for and how great he was for us. And then maybe JT right behind him. I mean, Champ was so great for us, but we didn't really come close to sniffing a national title or any kind of title, really. Paul and Green will always hold a special place for me because they helped bring us back to prominence, get us back in the in the title conversation. So, I mean, they, that's a tough call there, too, because those guys, I mean, those were dogs through and through, staying 
for multiple years, for three, four years, four years, I guess, for both those guys. Garrison Hurst also. I mean, it's tough to put JT ahead of those guys, but again, it, we're so starved, so desperate for a national title that if we win one, I could see a lot of fans, especially the younger fans in the fan base, having him certainly inside their top three. Maybe some of the older older generation fans who've been around for a while, seen all these guys, and maybe have more of a connection to some older players might not see it that way. Like for me, for example, again, I, I, w- I would have Chubb ahead of him just because I love Nick Chubb. And I can see an argument for Green, Pollock, those guys as well. But he certainly would be in the conversation there. It's just a subjective question based on how you look at it. For, so I guess for me, I would go no. I, I would go just outside the top three for me. But I imagine a lot of people would have him jump there inside the top three for them. But great question. Fun question. Love to hear from you guys on social media. Let us know what you guys think. Would JT jump in the top three for you in the national title this year if he's a big reason why we do it? He's certainly going to be in the conversation. But all right, guys. That does it for us today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. Thank you for taking your time to join us here on the show today. Curtis will be back later on this week for our second episode of the week. We're finally going to get him away from the books pull him away for studying for a couple of minutes at least, for at least an hour to get him on a show. He's agreed to do that, so we'll have him back on later on this week, so look forward to that. But thanks for listening, guys. For Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.